Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. I, I know you want to get back into the dating scene, and I think that's amazing. But the most important relationship I want you to be harnessing is the one that you have with yourself because that's the most important one you're ever going to have. You know, you are, if we are looking to our partners to complete us, like I hate that Jerry Maguire scene where it's like, you complete me. It's like, I want to just choke her because you know, you have to, nobody completes you except yourself. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. This is AMA Ask Me Anything number three with my partner in crime, The Major. And this one was really, really heavy. This was a, probably one of my favorite AMAs we've ever done. Um, so we had so many topics that we covered. And of course, you know that I went on a nerd rabbit hole on a geeky magic carpet ride in terms of the prep for this AMA. And if you want to get the show notes, uh, my prep notes for today's AMA, all you have to do is go to bettershow.co forward slash show notes. That's S-H-O-W-N-O-T-E-S. And what you're going to get is basically science-backed resources for better living. And you're going to get my notes. You're going to get the studies that I have uh, referenced in today's AMA. You're going to get my personal best practices, what I've learned, how I implement. Um, and we're also going to include some of Major's best practices as well because they were just Awesome. So bettershow.co forward slash show notes, and we will very happily provide you with all the nerdy data that we know our audience loves. So my topics with Major today, uh, we had questions on how to eat based on how do female hormones influence dieting? How do female hormones influence weight loss? So we talked about how hormones actually rule metabolism, period, and especially because of your period. So we talked about how to eat based on your menstrual cycle, a little bit of training on your menstrual cycle as well. We talked about endometriosis and fasting. So I'm just coming off of a 72-hour fast at the time of this recording, and so many questions on my social around endometriosis and fasting. So we did a deep dive into what endometriosis is what type of nutrition we can follow if you do suspect that you have endo and fasting protocols as well. We talked about um, uh, the carnivore diet. This is another hot one. A carnivore diet for women and uh, the ApoE4 genes. So talking a little bit about 
altered lipid metabolism with ApoE4 and how to eat around uh, that polymorphism. We also talked about, there was a specific question uh, from Terry who was asking, she did keto, lost all this weight. And then as you'll see in the question, it goes into a lot of detail, basically has gained most of it back. She can't stop her hunger. Her hunger is driving her nuts. She was, a, she was able to come off the you know oral contraceptives and whatnot, and now is just famished all the time. So we talked about what could possibly be going on with her. And then we got into a really great conversation around uh, dating, and we got into a great conversation around medications that can cause weight gain. So the one question, as you'll see shortly, was a woman who wanted to get back into the dating world, and so we talked about certain medications that she's on that may be causing her to gain weight. So we talked about mindset around that. We talked about lifestyle factors. We talked about which medications in general across the board uh, help us gain weight and ruin our metabolism. And then Major was talking about some of the strategies that she loves to employ as the president and also member of the Single Ladies Club, which she wears very proudly, and talking about some strategies for meeting new people and this journey of personal discovery. And then we finished it with morning routines, evening routines and weekly routines. So I talked about some of the morning routines that I adhere to every single day, evening routines that I adhere to every single day. And then the other thing that we talked about, which I think is really juicy, is what happens when things go awry. You have just the worst morning, like you wake up and you just don't feel like it. So how we can hack into our biology and how we can reset ourselves and change our state, change our story so that we can get back into uh, our morning and evening routine. So just a really robust conversation. I thought this was great. We went, again, uh, didn't get to all the questions. We're going to record the follow-up to this uh, in the coming weeks. So this should be coming shortly to the podcast as well. But without further ado, please enjoy the AMA number three with myself and Stephanie Major. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovering health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature, 
We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family. And over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot, as I have been doing, with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. All right, here we are back with another AMA. I got my partner in crime here, Major, with me. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's so it's always better when we're together. We just spent three weeks apart, which I think is the longest that we've ever gone. So the worst. The worst. worst. Yeah. I was texting you and I was like, hi. <laughs> Do you remember me? Do you remember me? Do you remember our friendship? <laughs> Unforgettable. So I'm really excited about our AMA today. What's it's the perfect way for us to be reunited. Mm. Uh, you've been doing something interesting this week. Let's tell the listeners what you've been up to. Oh, well, I just uh it is my we're gonna go TMI right away here. So this is my bleed oh. week. This is my first week of my period. And uh, what I like to do, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, is I like to do fasting. If I'm going to do any sort of aggressive fasting, tends to be this week. Um, and we'll talk about why that is later on. But I just finished, so yesterday evening, just finished a 72-hour fast. So that was, and the type of fast that I did, and there's lots of different ways, but the type of fasting that I did this time was just a pure, non-caloric liquid fast. So that means only water, herbal tea, my chocolate herbal tea, my fasting teas um, that I love to love to drink and salt. Mm. Uh, and I did, I did allow, I, I will say I did allow myself one cup of coffee in the morning. So one cup of black coffee, which um, still is still considered in my opinion, non-caloric. So yeah, 72 hours was in deep ketosis was great. Yeah, you are a level eight, and we'll explain what a level eight is to people. But we have these keto sticks that we blow on that um, read the acetone, correct? Yeah, the acetone in levels the in the breath. That's right. Yes, and we'll put a, we'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's a product that I. It's so easy. It's so much better than bleeding all the time. Because mm -hmm. if you ever wanna, if you wanna do, you know, if, if any of you know anyone who's a type one or type two diabetic, you know that they're constantly uh, finger pricking to to read their blood glucose. You can also do that. You can read your uh, ketones as well. But it's like no, I I can't. So this is just like a ten second. You blow into this little machine. It reads your acetone levels and it. And then it, it spits out a number from, I think it's one. I don't think it goes to zero, but one to eight. Yeah. One being very low, not in ketosis. And then it's it step, you know, there's a stepwise increase from there where eight is the maximum. And I did it, I was there at day two. So like around day, around 48 hours into the fast, I was blowing like the maximum amount of, uh, of ketones. In the, yeah. In the I, I 
I've been trying to get to an eight and I've convinced myself that eight actually was a myth and didn't exist and it was impossible. <laughs> but now you have, you have broken that myth. It is, it does exist. So next week I have to do a 72 hour fast so that I like can. a secret level. I feel like, I wonder if there's like a level nine. Like I don't <laughs> know if there's like, if I can unlock, I gotta, we gotta speak to the guys at keto to see if there's yeah. like an extra, an extra level that we can unlock. We need a new level. We've, we're here. Like what else can we get to? And what else? what I loved that you did about this fast and I've done it I've done the same thing before because you documented it on your social media which I think really helps with accountability and makes it a lot more fun okay I don't do it because I have a lot of followers I only have you know 200 but I do it because there are people responding they are motivated to do it ask questions and it really keeps you accountable you can't start a 72 hour fast and document it and then not and do it by yourself. And yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I will also say too, uh, in on my social media, on Instagram in particular, I had said mm-hmm. any questions about fasting. And there were so many that came in that I couldn't, I couldn't actually answer them all. So we're going to answer some of them. Yes. Like there was a really big, uh, uh, majority of women, which I was very surprised to hear this, they wanted to know about endometriosis and fasting. Is there an appropriate pro- So we're going to talk about that today too. I love that. Okay. So let's jump in. A question from beautiful Crystal. How do female hormones influence dieting and weight loss? Oh, um, the short answer is hormones rule metabolism, period. There's, there's no, like every single time you put something into your mouth, there's going to be, you know, you're going to account for the calories, but there's also going to be a hormonal response to that. And for women, you know, I always make this joke. It's like hormones, real metabolism, period, actually, especially because of your period. So um, we want to be thinking about as women, when we're thinking about dieting and weight loss specifically, how you can use the natural, you know, powers that you have because you have a menstrual cycle uh, and the ebbs and flows that occur you know, through the month, how you can utilize that to your advantage to be creating more energy, to be honoring your biology and to be thinking about weight loss. So there's been, there's been quite a few questions uh, that have come in around, I, I wrote an article uh, on uh, Medium, which I, which I publish uh, here and there, articles, and I wrote uh, an article on how to eat like a woman. Mm-hmm. And there's a full, like I've done a full masterclass on it for my audience. So we'll actually put the link for the masterclass for people who want to hear me go into like cr- a crazy amount of detail in, in this. But the main concepts in terms of what I talk about both in the article and in the masterclass is every week, I mean, truthfully every day, but every week, if we sort of divide your cycle into four weeks, you have a different hormonal landscape. So for example, um, in the first you know, this week, like we were talking about just before we kind of got started, is this first week where you have your period, your body can really tolerate uh, longer fasts. And when I say fasting, that's you know longer than 24 hours. Like I think everybody should be practicing some sort of time-restricted eating, Mm -hmm. which is restricting the amount of time that you consume foods during the day. But in terms of a longer than 24-hour period where you're fasting, and of course, there's different ways of fasting, which we'll get into today. This is a great, this is a phenomenal week for it because your progesterone levels are low, your estrogen levels are low. You can tolerate even more uh, um, in terms of nutrition and a dietary protocol, 
very well tolerated to have a ketogenic diet where you are very much reducing the amount of carbohydrates that you're consuming on a daily basis. The first two weeks of your cycle, very well tolerated for that, but particularly week one. So I, I really love that. Um, for week two, I call this, you know, the week before ovulation, which is actually the whole point of your period. Like everyone thinks that your cycle is like the point of it's to bleed. And no, that's just your body saying, nope, there's no pregnancy here. We got we to gotta scratch this and start again. The whole point of your cycle is to ovulate. So, you know, I've said this before, I actually think that ovulation should be day one, but the week before ovulation, we have a couple of different things. We're starting to see the first rise of estrogen in your cycle. There's two uh, points in your cycle where estrogen rises. So estrogen is rising. We're trying to drive the follicle to mature. So every month you mature one uh, follicle with an egg inside it. So that is driving that growth. And we also have testosterone rising. So this is when you are, and ladies, you... A, a really crude measurement of whether your testosterone levels are are on point is whether you're set, whether you feel horny. Mm-hmm. So the week before your ovulation, you should be trying to chase after sex, whether it's your partner, whether it's your toys that you have at home, you know, all that kind of stuff. So testosterone is going to be rising. In terms of nutrition, this is where we can be optimizing for increasing and improving our lean muscle mass. So. We know that there's a pot or um, there's a direct corollary between testosterone and lean muscle mass. We want to capitalize, want to profit off of that by going really hard in terms of our protein content. So when we are con- when we're consuming higher protein, that drives something called muscle protein synthesis. So kind of just says it kind of does what the what you know it's not a very creative word. It's like you're just synthesizing new new muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do that through consuming, the way that it starts is by, you need to have about t- uh, two to two and a half grams or so of leucine, which is a um, essential amino acid. We get that from products like meat and fish and eggs. So if we're talking about animal products, this is going to be approximately you know, it's about nine to 10% of animal products. So let's call it, you know, 20 to 25 grams of whey. Mm -hmm. You can get leucine. You can drive MPS with vegetarian sources. You just need a lot more. So um, I don't have the reference on me right now, but if I think about soy proteins or rice proteins, which are pea proteins, which a lot of vegetarians will supplement with, you need, I think almost double, like you need 40 grams of these vegetarian sources to be able to start driving that MPS. So the main point here, I know I'm belaboring the point here, but in week two, right before you're, uh, right before you ovulate, you want to be going harder on protein. And then we can talk about how that changes with your training as well, because you should be also changing the way that you train, the way that you are moving this week as well. So I like to talk about heavy weights, lots of resistance training. So you're getting that muscle protein synthesis, both from the chemical aspect, which is your diet through higher protein consumption, and you're also getting it mechanically. So you're getting it through the exercise, the resistance training, the heavy weights. And when I say heavy weights, ladies, I mean five reps, like all you could, like you're struggling for that fifth, you need a spotter because that's the kind of heavy weight that I want you to be doing. You should be sore. <laughs> you should be sore the next day. So uh, that's kind of the week um, before ovulation. And then, we, and then after you ovulate, so the follicle releases the egg and then we have 
like almost a completely different landscape. Like the entire hormonal landscape, we are a different person. We go from being flirty and sexy, extroverted, you know, wanting sex to, you know, the luteal phase. So the luteal phase is basically your body's like, okay, we've released the egg. Let's build up the endometrium. Let's try to wait for that sperm to fertilize the egg. Let's wait for pregnancy. So whether you want a baby or not, this is, this happens. You know, you don't have voluntary control over this. So this luteal phase, we tend to see, um, it, it tends to be for some, depending on your hormonal, you know, to answer Crystal's question, you know, hormones and dieting and weight loss. This is a time where we really want to be thinking about reducing inflammation. Because if you do have any sort of premenstrual uh, symptoms, you have tender breasts, you have bloating, you have digestion, you have mood changes, which are all sort of classified under PMS, then we will start to see. Um, that's going to happen in the second half of your cycle. So there's a couple things that we can think about from a dietary perspective when we are continuing to, we still want to be losing weight. We want to be optimizing our hormones, but we want, I want you to just think about this idea that the second half of your cycle, you are literally building an organ. Yeah. You build an organ, like you build the lining of this uterus every single month. So it's energetically incredibly expensive, right? So we have changes in our protein utilization, changes in our glucose. So the amount of, we, we um, are using more proteins, using more glucose, using more free fatty acids um, to build up the, the layer of this endometrium. So you actually need more calories in the second half of your cycle, particularly in week four. In week three, what we want to be doing is we want to start increasing the consumption of cruciferous vegetables. So the, uh, the brassica family, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, um, uh, I don't know if cabbage is considered in there, but I, ha- I tend to like a lot of cabbage and sa- I tend to have a lot of sauerkraut through the, through the month. And then resistant starches as well. So a lot of the cravings that women experience in that luteal phase um, can be mitigated, can be uh, ameliorated with the consumption of resistant starches. So in week three, so the, right after ovulation, I would be consuming it every other day. Mm-hmm. I would be probably from a nutrition perspective, cycling the keto, like the, you know, something like the Estima diet, which we've, um, which we've mentioned. Uh, So the Estima diet is basically like a 28 day cycle where you're eating lots and lots of green leafy vegetables, lots of healthy fats and sort of a moderate amount of protein. So you'd cycle between that and then a higher carbohydrate day. So in the article that we can link to in the show notes, I talk about a two-day on, one-day off protocol. So two days, you're doing the Estima diet. So this ketogenic diet where you're approximately, and this is really designed for women. So it's like a 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbohydrate. You'll do that for two days. And then one day, you'll increase your carbohydrates. You'll have like what I call a carb up day. So you can do 60, instead of doing 70, 20, 10, you might do 60, 20, 20 or you might do uh, 50, 30, uh, pardon me, 50, 20, 20. Uh, does that add up? No, that doesn't add up to 100. 50, 25, 25. There we go. That, that adds up to 100. Yeah. So you can just, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that you can one day, like you have two days keto, one day where you're cycling up your carbohydrates. Um, 
that's kind of week three. And then week four is sort of do or die, right? So this is progesterone. This is the princess, the principessa. This is where she comes out. She peaks at the end of week three and at the beginning of week four. So about day 21, 22 in your cycle, progesterone reaches its peak and then it will taper off from there. So progesterone, what she's doing is she is, she's being secreted from, um, you know, I, I like to call the artist formerly known as the corpus uh, of the follicle. Now it's called the corpus luteum. Um, and she is going to be stimulating your appetite. She wants you to be eating more because as we just mentioned, the glucose metabolism, the protein metabolism, the free fatty acid metabolism is being upregulated to develop the endometrial lining. Um, she is going to be reducing your cervical mucus. So you may find when you're looking in your underwear, if you are uh, watching for, we talked a little bit about mucus and cervical mucus and, and uh, vaginal discharge in the last AMA. Mm-hmm. But this is like kind of the dry day. Like these are sort of like the dry days, uh, you know, in that in that week four, like leading up to your period. And um, we also have estrogen second rise here as well. So in this um, second half of your cycle, we also see estrogen rising as well. So a couple of guidelines in terms of nutrition for eating here. We want to be now consuming uh, resistant starches every single day. So in week three, we were talking about every other day, resistant starches here every day. They feed the microbiome. They, they are going to, um, for my nerds that want to know why this is important, um, your, the, micro, the, um, the microbiota in the large intestine actually use resistant starches as a substrate, as a food substrate. So they are going to gobble that up. It doesn't count towards your carbs. And then you start to, uh, in, as a gift to you for feeding them, they will give you butyrate, which is, which is a short chain fatty acid. It's going to help with the intestinal lining. So improving intestinal um, uh, hyperpermeability, that's an issue for you helps with sleep, which is another common thing that women will complain of is sleep disturbances. They feel hot, they have sweats, night sweats, that kind of thing. So resistant starches are really going to help with that. And then the other thing is that they reduce your cravings because one of the big reasons why you're craving all those things, like the sweets and the salt and all that kind of stuff is because your microbiome is probably starving. Mm. So daily on the, on the resistant starches, I would increase your caloric intake 10 to 15% here. And, um, and there'd be some supplements that I'd want you to be taking as well. So glutathione, magnesium, and your and a, and a nice full spectrum B, uh, B vitamins as well, because those are also being gobbled up in the preparation for the endometrium for the for pregnancy. So Crystal, I know that was a long answer, <laughs> <laughs> but that was that that would be my response to how are hormones mm. related to fat loss and um and and dieting. I love it. This is such a juicy topic. I have to ask you though. Okay. So there, I know there's women listening to this that are saying I've, I've gone through, you know, um, I've eliminated sugar from my diet. I've done the work. I've had the keto flu. I've got myself into ketosis. And now you're asking me for certain times of the month to increase my, my carb intake. Is that going to kick me out of ketosis? Is it going to be just as hard to get back in? Like, what does the woman do that has been very strict keto for so long and is almost afraid to increase the carbs to that, to that extent? I'm so glad you asked this because women and and men for, for the record, but women in particular, we are not meant to be in ketosis all the time. 
So this is, and this is that we see this in the Estima diet. They're like, oh my God, what do you mean I eat carbs? Like, no, that's going to kick me out of ketosis. I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to gain it all back. And your metab, like your metabolomics are different. You have different requirements in that second half of your cycle. And if you continue to sit, push yourself and ignore the symptom, like ignore your body's needs, your body is actually going to hold on to fat like an insurance policy because you're not actually allowing yourself to rest and recharge. That last week of your period, uh, pardon me, of your cycle is a time where, and I'm not asking you to have like 8,000 extra calories. It's a 10%, a 15% increase. So if you are consuming, you know, 1600, like I, I typically find in the Estima diet, women tend to end up somewhere between, let's call it 1300 calories to 1600 calories. But on the, on the higher end of that 1600, I'm just, it's just an extra 160 calories. It's like, right. it's an extra, it's an extra, you know, Susie's good fat bar. It's an extra, you know, scoop of peanut butter. It's not, it's not, or two scoops of peanut butter rather. It's not that many more calories, but it does serve your physiology in a way that you can recover because building up an organ is a big deal. And then of course, in the week when you are on your period, you're shedding that organ, right? So it's important for, for the ladies to understand that we are, and women in general, we are much more defensive of our fat stores than our male counterparts, right? We need fat and we just, you know, because we haven't, I mean, in modern society, you can just go on your phone and then food's going to show up at your door. You go to Uber Eats or you go to whatever. And, but that has, it hasn't existed like that for tens of thousands of years for us. And women will tend to pack on more adipose tissue because we need that adipose tissue to grow a baby, to grow an endometrial lining every single month. If you were to fall pregnant and there's a famine, what are you going to use? Stored food, the stored fat stores that you have. So just understanding and accepting our biology. We're not little men, right? We cannot um, fast and do keto and eat like men because we're not designed that way. And if you are out of, and if that 150 calories kicks you out of ketosis for a couple of days, I mean, big shit, who cares? You're going to get back into it when you get back, when you're going to, you're going to be on your period soon and you're going to do a 72 hour fast or you're going to get back into key. You're going to get right back into it. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to cycle the ketosis is, is now we're going to get an explicit rating because I said that, but um, I love, I love this episode, but yeah, thank you. I love this. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about this next topic because I, the more I, the older I get, the more women I talk to, I realize how, how many women suffer from this and it's endometriosis. So what do you have to tell them about fasting and endometriosis? Yeah. And this one, this came from Instagram. So this was, I was doing the 72 hour fast and I was jumping on my stories on Instagram stories, which by the way, is just, I'm so out of my comfort zone doing that because I'm such a pride. I tend to be such a private person and then I kind of can turn it on when I need to, but it's like, oh, hi everyone. Here I am again, talking about my fast. And again, here I am again. Jump on here and tell you. I'm having salt now. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of women were asking about endometriosis, which shocked me. Mm -hmm. Um, We also had, so just as a side note, we had so many questions about perimenopause and menopause. We are going to do a separate episode. So ladies that were asking about perimenopause and menopause, we're going to do a separate AMA uh, completely on this. But for endo, um, endometriosis is really complicated. Um, When we look at what it is, it looks like 
it's potentially an autoimmune condition. So when we look at uh, women with endometriosis, which I'll also say, by the way, um, it takes an average for a woman to get the diagnosis of endometriosis 10 to 12 years, which is outrageous because a woman will go to her primary, will be complaining about this pelvic pain, uh, you know, month over month. And because we as a society have normalized menstrual pain, like it's just, well, it's normal. You just supposed to just take my doll, just take whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's some, you know, what was the, what are those little blue pills? I forget, is it Anaprox? My doll, my doll. No, my doll, but there's a prescription. I forget that it's escaping me now, but because of menstrual pain, we almost expect it every single month. You know, women are often dismissed from their primary healthcare providers and they have to go to doctor after doctor after doctor, which is, you know, something that I am completely, I completely take a stand against. So uh, for women with endometriosis, an average of 10 to 12 years for the diagnosis to come. And what we see is that in the blood, we see inflammatory cytokines. So when we talk about it being an autoimmune condition, one of the, you know, some of the criteria that we look for with autoimmunity is inflammatory cytokines. And the big one is tissue specific antibodies. So we see autoantibodies um, against the endometrial lining with, with women uh, with endometriosis. There are a couple different theories that we can talk about LPS, the bacterial hypothesis of endometriosis, which is a lipopolysaccharide, uh, which activates sort of inflammatory um, pathways in the body. But the big through line here is whether it is an autoimmune condition or it's a bacterial uh, infection of LPS, the primary goal for a woman who suffers with endometriosis is to reduce inflammation. That's the through line. So when we think about how we can do that through fat, like the specific question was through fasting, but I'm going to answer this a little bit more for her. We can talk about fasting, but we can also talk about this through nutrition. So nutrition wise, because she has to eat at some point, she can like, and the answer for the short answer for fasting is absolutely, it's wonderful for women with endo. But for diet, again, same, like in the same vein with my women with PCOS, the Estima method or the Estima diet, where we have a green or a lot green leafy vegetables as the base, all these green leafy vegetables reduce inflammation. So if you have, you know, if you look at your plate and you're looking to build your plate, the question that I get my kids to answer, and this is a really good sort of metric for people to keep in mind is where are the plants? Where is the fats? Where's the protein? The plants should make up the bed of the it should make up the majority of your plate. So it could be a bed of spinach. It could be sauteed uh, Swiss chard, which I really love. Uh, it could be kale, which I'm also a huge fan of. And I, as a side note, make the best kale chips on the planet. Everybody who has my kale chips says so. Yeah. So bed of, bed of plants. And then protein, when we're thinking about building protein, we want to be thinking about Uh, I like protein to be about the size of your palm. So if you sort of look at the size of your palm, that should be about the the portion. So, um, you know, Mark Hyman calls this a condimeat. So I will just take, because I, I, you know, if you were to squirt ketchup on the side, it's going to be about the size of your, you know, condimeat, condiment. Um, And then fat should be the fill. So this is basically the the principles of the Estima diet. So eating a green plant-based ketogenic diet with meat. So I'm a big fan of, of having animal products as well for women. Um, in terms of fasting, the, and actually before we just get onto that, I just want to, I just want to spend a minute talking about the greens. So when we think about why greens are really important for someone with endometriosis, uh, 
we talked about the brassica family already. So th- these are like the mainstays of the vegetables that you're going to eat on the Estima diet. So you're going to eat things like sulforaphanes and indoles. So like the dim that everybody talks about, diet, uh, indole methane, uh, indole three carbonyl. And the reason why this is like the royal family, like the brassica family is like the, it's like the Kardashians, like they are the mm-hmm. royal family. Like there's so many good ones. You don't know which ones are your favorite, right? That's not mm-hmm. the card I feel like about the Kardashians. So <laughs> same with the brassica family. There's so many good ones. I don't know who to pick. Um, but when we talk about this, there is a direct link. So direct, the more of these green leafy vegetables and the brassica family cruciferous vegetables you consume the there is a reduction in all cause mortality for women it, there is a direct reduction in the mortality from from cardiovascular disease which is the number one killer for women everybody talks about breast cancer and everyone's scared about cancer which of course is not i'm not i'm not um uh disclaim and i'm not saying that that's not important but the number one killer most women don't realize like that's our number one killer is heart disease yeah. so brassica family more you eat the less cvd uh, it does this by imp- improving our lipid profiles. Uh, reduce again, uh, talking about cancer. Breast can- reduces breast cancer risk. Reduces the inflammatory pathways that we think are the accelerator for some of the symptoms of endometriosis. Reduces DMA- DNA damage, all this kind of stuff. So, the brassica family is wonderful for you to be eating if you are uh, if you do have endometriosis. And then fasting, again, the reduction in inflammation is the through line here. So and so we want to be reducing inflammation. Fasting does that. And if it is, in fact, an autoimmune condition, one of the ways we want to care for women with autoimmunity is by fixing their gut. A lot, you can see this through, uh, you see this with MS, you see this with lupus, you see this with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you see this with uh, SLE, you see this with all these different types of autoimmune conditions, which by the way, also run, uh, I want to say eight times more in the female population than it does in the male. Fact check me on that. I think it's, I think it might be six, six, six or seven or eight times more. It's, it's more in women. Like, you know, the end of the day, it's more in women. What we want here is we want to be reducing inflammation. So fasting is going to help repair the gut. It's going to help improve that hyperpermeability if there is something there. So like the 72 hour fast that I just completed, I just did a water fast. For a woman who has an autoimmune condition, she might do that if she can tolerate it. The other option for her might be having bone broth. So a bone broth fast. So she can be sipping on bone broth through the day rather than just doing the water. Like a, a water fast is a more aggressive kind of fast. Like what I just did was, is a bit more aggressive. But the nice thing about bone broth, and when we think about this in conjunction with the gut and, the, and helping heal the gut, the intestinal wall... Uh, is made up primarily of epithelial cells and they have a really short lifespan. They turn over every three days, four days, every five days. Bone broth, when you're sipping on bone broth for three days and that's the only thing that you're consuming, it's really rich in glutamine, which is an, which is, which is an amino acid. And that is going to feed the intestinal, those epithelial cells in the intestinal wall. And they're going to gobble that up and use it for energy. So it has been like glutamine has been shown to improve intestinal intestinal permeability because we're helping the quality of the epithelial cells that live there, and then we also have the you know the gelatin uh, to help strengthen the mucosal the mucosal layer in the gut as well. So love for a woman who's fat who has endo, either if she can tolerate it, and of course you would be doing this with your with your 
primary healthcare provider, either a, a non, a non-caloric liquid fast like I just did. So herbal teas, salt water, uh, or a bone broth fast. And you can do it for two, three days. And I think that, and even, you know, for a woman with endo, it's like when she has her period, it's like, there's like shrapnels exploding in her mm-hmm. uterus. So that another really great time to do that would be in her bleed week in the, in the, in the time where she has her period. Ooh, that was a good answer. Uh, what a good way for her to get her power back to after, you know, waiting for a diagnosis and being kind of shot around the medical, the medical community to be able to make those changes every single month and take that back, that power by fasting and, um, deciding what she puts in her body. So, yeah. And it's, you know, I will, I will just say I am, I'm writing a book right now, as, as you know, and Mm -hmm. this is like the stories of women that I've worked with, the women that I talk to, it Mm -hmm. always is like that women are, their symptoms are often discounted or they're offered as a first line, some sort of medication. And it's usually like, if you, if you listen to my episode with Jolene, Dr. Jolene Brighton, it's like the first thing for anything is the birth control pill. And you know, a lot of women on endometriosis, they're offered that as a way to control um, their symptoms. And, you know, if you want to kind of go down the rabbit hole in terms of why that may not be the right, the right way, listen to those two episodes. We did an AMA on the birth control pill as well. Mm -hmm. Um, there's always going to be conventional interventions like, you know, surgical excision of the, of the wounds, uh, in the woman's, uh, endometrial lining. Um, I know there's, I, I, I believe it's the Minera IUD that is often, uh, also used as a, as a prophylactic for women. So the, so you can, you can do these conventional things, you know, uh, especially the surgery, like we've had a couple of patients uh, in the practice with severe endo who went through surgery and we're successful, but you also have to pair it with some of these lifestyle things because we always want to be thinking about reducing the inflammatory pathways for these women. Okay. So the next question is about another hot topic, but honestly, this is a topic that I've only heard men discuss or men um, give feedback on the great results that they've had. So this is from Sarah and she asks, in regards to diet, I'd love to hear your take on carnivore for women. Mm. Also diet guidelines for those who carry the APOE4 gene? APO, yeah, APOE4. APOE4. Uh, stoked to learn more about Estima Diet. She signed up for your masterclass. Oh, amazing. All right. So uh, you don't need to click on the link in the show notes because you've probably <laughs> already seen it. But what we are, so carnivore is basically nose to, done right. It's like nose to tail. You're eating the meat of the animal. You are eating the organs of the animal. Uh, you're, you know, grinding up the joints and you're, you know, consuming those as well. It is a subset, if you will, of the ketogenic diet. You are having zero carbohydrates, none. You are all you're consuming is fat and protein. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving 
achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Now, in terms of autoimmunity, women that I have spoken to who have done carnivore have found this to be life-changing. And of course, they've done it against all advice that they've been given. Um, and we see that their symptoms go into remission. Because once you actually have an autoimmune condition, you, you always will have it. Like the gene's been turned, like it, it's there. But what you can do is you are either having a flare-up or it's in remission. So a lot of women with who have tried carnivore have noticed that they will go their symptoms will improve drastically and they will go into remission now the issue with it in terms of when we think about whether this is an evidence-based protocol over the long term like short term a therapeutic intervention like nutritional ketosis which is what these women are going into with carnivore seems to be very beneficial. And I have heard it enough times for me not to discount it. And I am not the type of doctor who's going to discount any woman's story. Mm-hmm. You tell me what's happening for you. You are a better doctor for your body than I ever could be. So there's that piece of it. The other, when I'm looking at what, def- what, what constitutes evidence-based practice, one obviously is the clinical experience that you have the other thing is what's available in the literature. And then the sort of the third piece, if there's like a Venn diagram, is going to be the patient's goals and dreams. And taking those three things together is what constitutes evidence-based medicine and evidence-based protocols. So I always like to um, try to educate people who just are like, well, there's no PubMed study on it. Like there's no, it's like, you know, you have you have absolutely like for you to for you to be hanging on to PubMed like it's the be all and end all. And don't get me wrong. I can read, I go down rabbit holes on that website. Like it is like, you know, you go, whenever I go to Google and it's like a new, um, new tab, like the first little thing where it's like frequently, you know, visited, uh, things it's like PubMed's like the first, I, I love PubMed, but you also have to take into account clinical experience, which is often forgotten and the patient's wishes. So with carnivore right now at the time of this recording as far as i'm aware there are no long term studies on it so you know many women have talked about this being a game changer for them for putting the, these symptoms into remission there has been no good quality studies on it to date i hope that that will change and maybe there is a you know the the other piece to that is that what we do actually have a lot of literature on is the efficacy and the benefits of consuming plants. So when we think about, okay, so she's on carnivore, she's saying she feels really, really good on it. Can we get her on carnivore? You know, my thinking around this is is the following. And this is like the application of information, which so many like online bullies have like they... They're like, there's no PubMed sit in it. You have no clinical experience to be talking. So just sit down and stay in your lane. So, you know, I just felt like I needed to say that. But for women with autoimmunity, we have this idea that 
if she's tried it and it's working for her, maybe we cycle it. Maybe we get her on carnivore. She stays there for a month or two. We are monitoring her blood work. And then as her intestinal permeability is improving, as the stagnation in her liver is improving and her ability to detoxify uh, is improving, and as her symptoms get better, then we can start slowly introducing green leafy vegetables, that Kardashian, the, the, the brassica family that we were talking about. I don't know where I came up with that, but um, right. it's like, they're like the royal family. But anyway, so now then we maybe start for a couple, you know, again, like another cycle of a month or two where we're, get, we're, we're putting plants um, into her diet and seeing how she's responding, monitoring her blood, monitoring her, her hormonal status, et cetera. And then maybe there's a cycling that happens over many years. I mean, truthfully, I don't have the answer here. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is that a lot of people say it works. We just don't know how long it's it's good for. So um, I hope that I hope that that's I hope that that's helpful. Like there's a there's like a lot of thinking and a lot of clinical application and ways that we can play with carnivore. But right now I don't know what the long term effects of never having plants again would be. Right. Yeah, I, I laugh when you mention the PubMed because I just read the manuscript for your book and I think you reference your student subscription that you had. So. Yeah. This is like a, a decades worth of thing uh, oh. that you've done. Yeah. And just because you go on PubMed, by the way, like this is just me being like a little bit of a, just because you can search on PubMed doesn't mean that you know how to read the articles. So we'll just, I mean, that's another, I'll just get off my soapbox and we can just move on from there. But okay. Yeah. Let's, let's keep going. All right. So oh, we, I did talk about APO. Did, did she ask about oh, APO yes, before? Ah, okay. Let me actually talk about that. So APOE4, APOPROTEIN, APOLIPOPROTEIN E. Uh, she's talking about a SNP or a variation. Most people are APOE threes. So there's two, we have two genes. We get one from mom, one from dad. Most of us are three threes. If you have a four SNP, uh, it, this increases the likelihood for Alzheimer's and, uh, and cardiovascular uh, disease. So um, it, it puts you at more risk for uh, atherosclerosis, uh, decrease in brain volume. You do not process Uh, cholesterol and fats the way that you should. You have altered uh, lipid metabolism. So when we think about an APOE4, someone who has APOE4, the most researched diet is the Mediterranean diet, which is to say, you know, when we think about Southern Italy, we think about Greece, we think about Portugal, we think about Spain. These these, uh, communities, these populations tend to eat lots of olive oil. God knows my grandmother cooked, like she moisturizes her skin with olive oil and I've taken that from her. So olive oil over everything. Omega-3 fatty acids, fish, nuts, fresh fruit, uh, fresh fruit, uh, fruits, my goodness, and vegetables. This is um, very well researched to be a, a good diet for people with the, with the polymorphism, with the APOE4 polymorphism. So for this woman in particular, consuming a lot of omega-3s is going to be important in the, in the form of polyunsaturated fatty acids. So either a supplement, and I can link to the supplement that I often will recommend for people and the one that I take every day. It's a high-potency omega-3. So it has the DHA and the uh, EPA in it. Vitamin D, very important for these um, uh, for this population as well. So we, when we look at the studies, you know, there's like both high and low levels of vitamin D. And depending on whether you have one SNP or two of the APOE4, you can either have low or high. These levels, like too high or too low, are associated with lower cognitive function. So you need to have like the Goldilocks vitamin D levels here. You have to find the levels that are just right for you. And um, 
I guess the other, uh, is there anything else I would add with APOE4? It would be basically following like a Mediterranean style diet, making sure you're getting lots of healthy oil, uh, uh, omega-3s, pardon me. And that could be fish oil, that can be krill. uh, You can find it in in fatty fish, like the smash fish. So um, sardines, let me see if I can remember this acronym. Sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, and uh, herring? I think it's herring. I think it's herring. Yeah. The smash fish. All right. Okay. So Terry wrote us a question. It is so detailed. Terry, thank you for taking the time to write this. So she's been on keto for 14 months. She's lost 20 kilos without even trying. Mm-hmm. Blood pressure returned to normal, came off the contraceptive pill and antidepressants. Energy increased. Arthritis pain disappeared. Period cycles normal for the first time in her life. She felt Ooh. amazing. Awesome. The last few months, however, my appetite is almost uncontrollable. I absolutely have to eat about two to three times more than I was eating the first 10 months on keto, to the point where I've regained eight kilos in the last four months. Increased appetite is all through the month. I also have almost daily constant cravings for chocolate, which I've never had before. Hmm. Tried increasing carbs, no better, maybe hungrier. Tried increasing fat, not much difference. Tried increasing protein, no difference either. I also used to be able to fast four days um, every few months. Now I can barely do 18 hours. I feel full after I eat, but I'm starving. Still strictly keto, 100% clean, no other changes to my diet or lifestyle, and I've already been including resistant starches a couple times a month. I'm a 41-year-old female. Is this common? Why might this be happening? What can I do to get back on track and get the weight off? Thank you. Aww. And she sent Three kisses, kiss, kiss. Three kisses. All right. So good on you for the first, looks like that 14 months, lost 20 kilos, came off, uh, you know, contraception and antidepressants. So what we can see, I don't know at what point she came off those medications, but I just want to make a note here that when you come off the pill, when you come off antidepressants, there can be a rebound effect. Uh, in terms of the reasons why you may have gone on, the reasons why you initially went on those medications, when you come off of them, it's like the symptoms get so much worse. And I will, um, if I mean, if you think about it, if Steph, if I took you now mm-hmm. and I duct taped your mouth and I threw you in the back of a trunk and you know you were there for however long, and then once I took you out and I took the mask off, you'd be screaming at me, right? You'd be like, Mom! How could you do that? So it's the kind. It's the kind of. It's the same sort of scenario, right? If you have been muting these symptoms through things like oral contraception or antidepressants, those things can rebound once you get off those medications because the root cause is not quite fixed yet. So a couple of things to consider uh, as you were talking. I was just writing some notes here. So if she's constantly craving chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was on, I don't know how long she was on the pill for, but we want to be thinking about supplementing with things like magnesium because mm. that's often a really big, even in, even for women with in their normal menstrual cycle, when we crave chocolate, part of it is because we are magnesium deficient. And this is, uh, I'm writing about this in the book, like when we think about the, the main deficiencies that women tend to experience, it's vitamin D, 
and magnesium. So magnesium would be something I would start supplementing with that can also, like magnesium is used in every in everything, everywhere, all the time. You need magnesium. Most women are deficient in it because we have this. And she's 41, so she still has her menstrual cycle, hopefully. A full spectrum B vitamin is something I would also recommend for her as well, as well as B12, because we know that the pill, oral contraception, like it just gobbles up B12, mm-hmm. uses up so much B12. So we need her on a B12 uh, and magnesium. Uh, her, her symptoms are kind of, uh, sounds like she has some gut dysbiosis in there. So she's always like always absolutely starving. I would be, I know she's mentioned that she's using, I think she said I've used resistant starches here and there over the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. I would actually start using them every, every other day to every day. Right. Yeah. She said only a couple times a month. So I think that she should. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every, until you start, I mean, resistant starches. So when we talk about resistant starches, we're talking about green banana flour. We're talking about green plantain flour. We're talking about raw potato starch. I would start there before going into like the cold sushis, the cold rice, the cold potatoes, but go to those things first, have that in your water every single day and do that for two weeks. See if that helps. So you should start to see an improvement uh, at the two to three week mark of supplementing res- with resistance starches every single day. Um, and the other thing, again, to be coming back to Jolene, it sounds like she has what Jolene has coined post birth control syndrome. So when we get off the pill, I mean, the pill affects every single system in our body, right? It can cause GI distress. It can cause thyroid issues. It can cause HPA axis dysfunction. So the, the communication between your brain, uh, your pituitary uh, gland and your adrenals, it can, you know, it can be a trigger for autoimmunity. So coming off the pill can actually be a trigger for autoimmunity. So things uh, like MS we see um, and Hashimoto's and all these things happening when women get off the pill. Uh, and we also see things like, uh, you know, HSCRP, so high sensitivity uh, C-reactive protein, three times higher uh, in women coming off the pill. So there's a lot of, in, like she sounds inflamed. So I would um, be thinking about how she can be reducing that with the resistant starches like we talked about, the magnesium and the B B vitamins, pardon me. And I would also be thinking about movement because movement while, you know, when we're thinking about resistance training and exercise, while in the short term, it can be a little pro-inflammatory, over the long term, it is very much an anti-inflammatory proxy for uh, reducing inflammatory pathways in the body. So, um, and it's also more effective than any antidepressant. It's been shown in multiple studies and I'll make sure to link in the the show notes that exercise has been shown to be just as effective as SSRIs. I believe there was one done in SNRIs. Uh, So it is just as effective, if not more effective because you actually don't, I would argue they're more because you don't have to deal with the side effects that come from those medications. Um, and of course that's a conversation you need to have with your primary. I'm not telling, I don't want you to just stop taking your antidepressants tomorrow, but thinking about incorporating exercise and making it a habit so that you reduce your reliance in the medication over time. Cause that's actually the point of meds, right? The, the point of the meds is to hold you over temporarily while you, you know, kind of get things back in check. It sounds like she's been doing keto on like very strictly. So maybe we need to, maybe she needs to think about eating based on her menstrual cycle. And, and, you know, I would, I would say watch uh, Dr. Stephanie's masterclass. It's going to be, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Watch the mat. I'll, we'll link for the masterclass in the show notes, Terry. So uh, you can watch that. You can watch how you can eat 
in accordance with your menstrual cycle. Cause you're 41. You want to be thinking about your, she's maybe in the, maybe, maybe not quite there yet, but in the drop zone for perimenopause as well. Okay. Next question is from Paula. I also Hello. think this is a great question. Mm. It's a clarifying question. With respect to diet, I keep hearing avoid processed foods. And to be honest, I'm a bit confused by this term and what categories of foods are, are entering here. For example, are feta cheese or parmigiano in this category? Would be really great to go deeper on the meaning of the subject. For me personally, every food is processed unless you eat vegetables. And then I listened to your previous podcast and some others related with health. This term is used all over and it it is quite a big difference between European diet and American diet, which I am completely unfamiliar with, but what I hear in podcasts (laughs) must suck. (laughs) She's, I bet she's from Europe. She can't, because if she's in North America, be like, that's the normal stuff. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Please bring some light into my confusion. Thanks a lot. Okay. So, uh, Paula, if you are lucky enough to live in Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you uh, have the benefit of is the name Parmigiano. So I'm going to get my Italian on here. Parmigiano Reggiano. It is a protected term. So in the same way that medical doctor is like you, I can't walk around saying I'm a medical doctor. I'm not, but in the same, you know, I'm, I'm a chiropractor. That is a protected term. You can't just walk around saying you're a chiropractor. Parmigiano Reggiano. This is how amazing the Europeans are. That is a protected term term. So the only place that you can, uh, you know, call the cheese Parmigiano is, I think it's a, it's the region in Parma. There's a couple different, I think it's Parma and it may be, um, I can't remember. There's a, there's another area. The only thing that you can have there is unpasteurized milk and salt. That's it. Mm-hmm. In America, in good old America, uh, and in Canada, across North America, really, it is not a protected term. So we can see all sorts of names that sort of suggest that it is this high quality protected term, but it is not. So things like- Craft shaky cheese. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So craft shaky cheese, Parmesan, you can call it Parmesan, Parmigiana, Parmesana, you know, uh, real Parma, all these things that denote that, that make you, it's, it's like a marketing gag. It like makes you think that it's Parmigiano Reggiano, but it's not. So, and it's funny because, um, there was a, there was a, the ruling in Europe, once they decided that this was going to be a protected term, uh, Kraft had to change, like that Kraft shaky cheese, yeah. that you were talking about, they had yeah. to change the name to, uh, it was like Parmesito or something, or <laughs> Parmesilo or something, like they had to change the name completely uh, in Europe because now this was like this designated, it's only in the region of Parma, it only contains unpasteurized milk, all this kind of stuff. So, um, and also with feta cheese, it's the same thing. So feta cheese is, it's made from sheep's milk and it's basically um, uh, like, uh, what's the word I want to use? It's, um, it's just stored in salty brine, basically. Brine. So it's, um, it's like a pickled cheese. That's what I'm trying to say. It's almost like a, it sits in this brine and it sort of cures over time. So it becomes saltier and saltier the, more, you know, the longer that it ages. So processed, processed food is really fake food. So feta is a real food. It's just the, it's just the curation method that's different. Parmigiano, it's just the curation that's different. But processed food, when I say that, what I'm talking about is frankenfoods. I'm talking about 
uh, processed meats, processed, you know, anytime you're not in the perimeter of the grocery store mm-hmm. and you're going in the aisles and you see the wheat thins and the, tr- and the triscuits and you see the boxed whatever, those are processed because they don't grow in the ground, they don't grow on a tree, they don't roam the land and they don't swim. So that's that's what a, I would call processed. And unfortunately, in North America, this is primar- this is why we call it SAD, standard American diet, because we primarily eat our foods that are processed, that don't occur naturally in nature. There's a lot of preservatives, there's a lot of additives, uh, trans fats, all these things that are added to these foods. Pam is asking, after numerous failed relationships and years of being single, how to enter the dating scene again and not using apps, exclamation mark, Mm -hmm. being confident in your body, even after gaining a large amount of weight due to meds prescribed by doctor and not being able to release it over the years? Oh, Pam. What a good question. Okay. So there's a couple ways we can answer this. First, uh, I just want when I hear this question, I want you to, the first thing we want to do before we talk about medication and how medication causes weight gain and all that, you just have to give yourself permission to love yourself. So you are the same person now, heavier than you were, you know, when you were lighter and not on these medications. You have the same uh, quirks, you have the same beauty within you, you have, you know, and on the dark side, you have the same triggers, you have the same shadow. You are the same person. It is just your composition is different now. So I would argue that I, I know you want to get back into the dating scene, and I think that's amazing. But the most important relationship I want you to be harnessing is the one that you have with yourself because that's the most important one you're ever going to have. You know, you are, if we are looking to our partners to complete us, like I hate that Jerry Maguire scene where it's like, you complete me. It's like, I want to just choke her because, you know, you have to, nobody completes you except yourself. I want you to, you know, you, and you, and you won't be able to love someone fully if you haven't fallen in love with yourself yet. So I just want to say that. The other thing I would like to just mention is numerous failed relationships is an opportunity to grow and to learn again, to fall in love with yourself and to learn more about yourself. You know, how did they fail? Why did they fail? How were you triggered in those relationships? What wounds were being activated, you know, when there was potentially fights or there was discourse in the relationship or maltreatment? What are some of the things that you need to focus on and do inner work to be able to heal those things? And how can we actively find out what those wounds are, sit with those wounds and kind of get to know them and become friends with them? Because I think a lot of times we, we all have wounds. I have wounds. I have, you know, I have failed relationships as well. Um, you know, I haven't really talked about it very publicly, but, you know, went through a divorce uh, several years ago, very difficult time for me and my family. And I think that what it has given me and continues to give me, it's a gift that continues to give, is, is for me to be able to reflect on that relationship and say, how did I not show up as my best self for this man? You know, how was I not the ideal partner for him? What are some ways that we would feed off each other's you know, wounds? And I think that I would offer and invite you to look at that for your failed relationships as well, because it's an opportunity for you to, to learn more about yourself. So in terms of meds, 
I just want to kind of, oh, you know, switching subjects a little bit, and I'm sure there'll be more questions that come from there, come from, come from that. But when we think about medication, um, know that there are many ways that meds can mess up your metabolism. They can stimulate your appetite, which is going to make you hungrier and eat more. Uh, it can affect the way, the, the speed at which you burn calories. So it's going to affect your metabolomics. It's going to affect the way your body stores and utilizes glucose or sugars in the body. It can cause you to uh, hold water, so you're going to be more puffy. Um, there, there's, there's, you know, it can cause you to have shortness of breath. There's, you know, you know when you watch those um, drug commercials and there's like everyone's laughing and smiling, but then you hear like the low male voice. It's like symptoms may include shortness of breath, <laughs> death. You know, like you have, like many medications can can cause shortness of breath. So a couple of meds, I don't know what she's on. She hasn't mentioned it in the question, but uh, diabetic medication like insulin can cause you to gain weight, uh, antipsychotics, antidepressants, epileptic medication, uh, steroid hormones like the birth control pill, like we talked about, prednisone, uh, and statins, blood, you know, blood pressure reducing medications, beta blockers, that kind of thing. So um, the good news is, is that it's not your fault, right? It's, it's probably the medication. The tough love that I'm going to give you is it's still your responsibility to be living a life that is in harmony with your genes and your lifestyle. So it's still, even though it's the meds that are causing the weight gain, I would invite you to still think about how you can be maximizing your cellular uh, uh, potentiality by eating foods that are anti-inflammatory, by moving your body, and by releasing the what sounds like some emotional trauma whether that's big trauma, big T or little T, um, from your past. And I think that all of those things are, I mean, that's not just your responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility to be working on those three pillars. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I want to say about that. What do you, what do you think major? I feel like you have some good insight, uh, in terms of dating. I, I, I always follow your life vicariously, uh, in your dating, dating, uh, so you have your 22 pages of notes and references. I have my half page of single girl, uh, single girl notes here. I so love it. Yeah. Sam, welcome. I am the president of the single girl committee and I am here to tell <laughs> you that it's actually really exciting. Getting back into the dating world means it's just full of possibility. And I think that you should really fall in love with the process that you're about to embark on. Um, dating without the apps is definitely an is uh, for extroverts. So if you are an introvert, you are going to need to say yes to so many more things than you typically would. That's my number one tip. So if you're invited to something and you normally would say no, now you have to go. So if it's your... (laughs) (laughs) You have to now. (laughs) You have to now. It's your best friend who's saying, you know, hey, why don't you come to my son's hockey tournament? It's that, you know, you have to say yes, because you never know who the coach is going to be, who's going to be another parent. You have to make yourself available um, to the different possibilities of meeting new people. Uh, what else do I have in my notes? You are going to be joining new classes. Join an improv class, a woodworking class, a soccer team. There are soccer teams that you can join as an individual. You don't already have to create the team and go on it. You can, it's everyone joining as an individual. So you're going to do that. You're going to start asking people in conversations, what personal projects are they most excited about right now? Okay. Ooh, you're going to ask people that, like that question. And when they ask you that question in return, because that's how polite conversation works, 
you are going to talk positively about this new quest that you're on. You're going to tell them that you are really excited that you've been on this journey of self-discovery and you're now really excited and interested in meeting someone and you're going to describe the person that you envision or want to meet so that the person who's listening to you can say, hey, you know who that reminds me of? This reminds me of so-and-so, let me connect you. So you're just gonna start talking about the, uh, your new quest to find a love and, be, and smile and be excited. I also had the idea of maybe hosting weekly dinner parties. So every week for three months, you could invite, or, you know, or every two weeks for six months, you could invite three to five people over to your home and the only rule is that they have to bring one other person with them that isn't a partner. So Ooh, that's a great, isn't that good? Good. I no. like that. Yeah. So that way you are not only spending more time with the people that are meaningful to you or getting creative with who you're inviting over to the house, you're giving them the opportunity to bring someone else over and meet new interesting people. And at the very least, you are just going to have some great dinner parties, um, but there might be a potential love match there. Okay, this is one of my other tips. You are going to find a couple of your introverted, uh, sorry, your extroverted girlfriends, the girlfriends that love to go out and meet new people, and you're going to get their help. And But the important thing is that you make it really clear, because the thing I don't like is when girls make plans to go out together, but then my girlfriend's always looking at who else is in the room. So you're going to let them know, hey, we're going to go to this charity gala. We're going to go to this dinner party. We're going to go to this. And I would really love it if you would help me meet new people, make conversation with people. So you're going to let them know that, that's, that, that they are your meet new people wingman. Um, that way they just don't feel like, oh, she asked me to hang out, but really she just wanted someone with her while she like scoped the scene. Okay. Now I noticed that you put the exclamation mark after not using the apps. I was going to say, yeah. Yes. I think I know where you're going here. So this is really funny. I was talking to my daughter last night. She's 15 and we were talking about doing the podcast and, um, I, how excited I was. And she asked me, well, what question are you most excited about? And I told her about this question. I told her about the apps. And I said, back in the day, people were really, there was a stigma and people would make up uh, different reasons how they actually, you know how people would be like, oh yeah, no, we actually met at a bookstore, but really they had met on a dating app. Mm -hmm. Haley's, Haley was blown away. She was like, what? Like that was a world she couldn't even imagine. To her, She's like, but that's how everyone meets. Like, isn't that safer? Can't you learn more about them before going out than meeting someone? So I promise you, this is how people are meeting. People are meeting on, on dating apps and you don't have to make up um, a silly reason of how you, how you met. Um, so, so what apps, what apps would you recommend for her? Yeah. If she's going to say, okay, I'm going to listen to this podcast and I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and download an app, which are the ones that you like more than others? Yes. And you're only going to do one. You're not going to download all of the apps and be overwhelmed. You are going to download one of the apps. And one of the ones that I would recommend would either be Hinge or Bumble. And you're going to do these because men can't, or, 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 or women, who, whoever you're interested in, can't just message you. You have to show interest in their profile or message them first before, before they can write you back. So I think what happens with women, they download you know, Tinder or something and they just get overwhelmed and bombarded by-, by and gross uh, pictures. and yeah. yeah, and you're just like, what's going on? This is mm -hmm. too much. So you're just going to do one app 
You're going to invite one of your best girlfriends over for dinner. You're going to cook a lovely meal. You're going to listen to some sexy R&B music and you're going to create your profile together and you're going to post it. That way you have someone there that's with you, that's excited. Um, You won't feel alone. Like it'll just feel comfortable. And then you're going to use it as a tool, but not the tool. So it's just something that you use every once in a while. You're still putting yourself out there, but it, people are on there, man. I'm on there and I'm checking out there. Like even I go higher on the age range, like there's all ages on there now. And I think it would be something that, um, if you're getting back into the dating game, it'll give you a lot of practice because there's nothing worse than, you know, not going on a date for three months. And then all of a sudden you have a date to go on. You're just really anxious and nervous. But if you're setting up these little 15 minute, 30 minute coffee date, let's go to a bookstore, a bookstore is such a good date, like to just see what, you know, what kind of things they're interested in, but short little dates that you're, that are convenient for you to go to that are, um, with new people that you haven't met before, I think is a really great way to get back into the dating world. Um, and you know what? I've done this before. I've been on a date with someone and, but I've said, you know what? I have this friend that I think that you guys would be so perfect for. And that could happen to you. You could just be meeting new people and they could have people that come to mind that would be perfect for you. And if all else fails and it's the worst thing in the absolute world and you hate it and you can't be on the dating app anymore, then you delete it. I love that. Thank you. I love that. That's so good. That's incredible. So she's going to do Bumble or Hinge. And then she's going to, you know, do these uh, dinners where she's saying friends and friends of friends. Mm-hmm. And she's going to start saying yes in her life. Hey, yes. Yeah. Be excited. This is a, is an exciting time in your life. And like I said, the possibility is what's really exciting. You're not in a scenario. You're like creating your new, your new love and, and uh, relationship scenario. So I love think that. it's an exciting time and I would love an update, Pam. Pam, you have to update us. You must update us because we can have, we can have so, we have some good girlfriend chats with this one. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think the, the two of us with you, with your, you know, committed, awesome, loving relationship and me with my 37 year old single status, I think we should, we could have some really um, fun conversations around relationships and dating and sex. 100%. Okay. So our next question is from Nikki. Nikki is asking for rituals. What are some examples from your own life of things you do daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera? What do you do recommend for yourself? And what do you like to do with your partner, um, with your family or with your family? Ah, this is a good question. I have written about this. I've been talking about morning routines for years. I've been trying to, you know, when I was in chiropractic practice, I would be talking about setting up your day for success. Uh, and I talk about it now. I write about it now. Uh, it's gonna be part of the book. So couple things. There can be so many permutations of what a morning, your morning routine can be five minutes. Your morning routine could be an hour and a half. You know, it really just depends. And some days my morning routine very much ebbs and flows based on, you know, usually I'm sneaking out of the bed in the morning and going downstairs and doing my workout. And if, if my kids wake, wake up early, then my workout gets cut short. So it really just ebbs and flows on the day. But there's a couple of pillars that happen every single day with me, no matter what, with a morning routine. Um, The first is what I like to call water with benefits, Uh, just kind of piggybacking on the dating question that we were just talking about. So uh, when you wake up, you're dehydrated. You have not had any liquid. You've not had any food. You've been fasting effectively while you've been sleeping. 
So rehydration with water. So about a quart of water or, you know, for my American friends, a quart or for the rest of the world, about a liter of water uh, in the morning. And I often will put electrolytes in it. So an electrolyte blend, uh, which has uh, sodium, potassium, uh, a couple of other good things in there. Uh, magnesium, chloride, etc. So we'll again, we'll link in the show notes the blend that I use, but you can also just put some salt in your water if you don't have an electrolyte blend, like a nice Himalayan, not table salt, but like Himalayan salt. Um, that's the first thing. So quart of water, liter of water. Second thing is movement. So this is like, this is the big variable depending on how much time you have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have 10 minutes and sometimes it's you know, three songs and I just dance my heart out. And then that's, that's kind of my movement for the day. Or if my kids stay asleep or they're with their dad, uh, I have a bit more flexibility in the morning. So I will do a, uh, my favorite thing to do is to work out fasted. So I don't eat before I work out and I'll either get on my bike. Um, and I love, Zwift. So if anybody wants to be friends with me on Zwift, I have no friends on there. I just go and and I have like, it's, I've been doing it for, I have no friends on there. It's the weirdest thing. Anyway, Zwift and then, uh, or resistance training. So, you know, I talk about, you know, me and resistance training. I love my weights. So I love to do both of those fasted. And when we think about why that's important, there's a couple of reasons for it. One, uh, you're starting your day off by activating areas in the brain. So you're, when you are moving, you are activating areas uh, in the frontal lobe called, called the motor cortex, which is basically an area that helps with movement. That's located in the frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is involved in emotional regulation, is invo- involved in future thinking, planning for the future, executive decision-making, etc. So when you are activating the frontal lobe, you are actually setting yourself up for better cognition through the day. So you're going to be more focused uh, when you're doing your cognitive work, whether that's you know at work or at home. Uh, it is going to set you up for better emotional regulation, so better resilience when things you know hit the fan. And it's going to help you plan. So that's a really, and I love movement in the morning because it just kind of wakes your body and your brain up. You know, you've been lying, you know, relatively inactive, right, overnight. And I just love movement in the morning because I find it just opens me up and, and allows me to be really focused. The other thing um, for those of you that, you know, want to piggyback on the last AMA, we were talking a lot about cortisol. Your cortisol awakening response uh, is highest in the 15 to 30 minutes after you wake up. So cortisol, as we discussed on the last AMA, it's a counter-regulatory hormone, meaning that it opposes insulin. So insulin's job is to get glucose and substrate, primarily glucose, uh, into the cell, and cortisol wants to keep it around. So um, what you can do is if you're doing resistance training or you're doing cardio, is you are now utilizing your leg muscles or your upper body muscles or whatever. So you're going to help drive the blood glucose into the muscles. So you're going to have extra blood glucose in the morning and that's going to drive it into the muscles. And, you know, the way that I like to remember this is in the same way that, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Once the glucose gets into the muscles, they stay there. They cannot get out because they don't have the phosphate. Like you can't, you can't get glucose out of the muscle once it's in there. So those are kind of one and two. So it's, you know, water with some salt or some electrolytes. It's movement, however much movement you have time for. And then the third thing is cold. Um, I, I call this cold tatas. You know, you get into the shower and you take a freezing, like it's cold. There's no heat on. And all honesty, when I first started this, I hated this more than anything, but I was doing a lot of research on Wim Hof. I was looking at mitochondrial biogenesis. I was looking at energy. 
and all roads pointed to cryotherapy. So I don't want to go somewhere to stand in a cryotherapy machine for, you know, two minutes. Like it's just a complete, it's a completely inefficient use of my time. I'm a mother. I have no time. I can't like drive somewhere to go for two minutes and come home. So I was like, okay, I'll use my shower. So I started off doing one minute of like last, so hot, hot shower. And then the last minute of my shower, I turned off the heat. And now I basically do the entire shower cold. So, uh, and that, for, I mean, that's not a long time. Like my, if you speak to my partner, Giovanni, he could spend all day in the shower and mm-hmm. he, he would, if you let him, for me, it's like, I got the shampoo, rinse, conditioner. And then while the conditioner is on, I'm shaving, I'm, you know, scrubbing my body and then I'm out. So like, we're talking seven minutes at the most. Uh, so I take a seven minute cold shower. That's kind of my morning routine. Um, there are other things that I can add into it, but that's basically the three things I make sure I do all the time. Freezing, cold water, uh, movement, and uh, rehydration. In the evening, it's all about my mental health. So for me, I find this with women. I find this with myself. There is an inverse relationship between my anxiety and the amount of light that's outside. So as the light goes down, my anxiety levels tend to creep up. I start thinking about all the things that went wrong that day, all the things that can potentially go wrong tomorrow, you know, where I'm not, where I'm failing, you know, all, that that's just sort of a, a mental game. So what I will do is things like journal. So where did I win today? What went right? What am I grateful for? I write up my to-do list for tomorrow. I have a, we have a weekly or sorry, a daily, you know, morning meeting with the team. So I prepare mm-hmm. for that. Um, if I can get a sauna in the evening, I feel like I've won. So depending on the kids, if I can get into the sauna around 6.30 and sit there for an hour, that's like the perfect, you know, 6.30 to 7.30, I'm kind of sweaty, you know, all like kind of all warm when I get out. But then there's a rebound where like that reduces my core body temperature. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really helps me get a really nice sleep. So I like to do that as well. Okay. I want to hear three things that you do when things are not going right. Do you have any rituals that you do whenever... Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. And that's like, that's a juicy, that's a really juicy question because it's really easy to be like, oh, well, I just have my water and I work out and I do it all the time. But for me, um, I, my kids will wake up in a funk. I'll wake up in a funk, all that kind of stuff. So my main strategy here is, um, if you've listened to the Jennifer Kalari episode, uh, I basically Kalari myself. So we, she talks about the calm technique. I, I will, be like, oh, I know, dear, you're just feeling like, oh, poor thing, you know, the way you feel. I get like, I will Kalari myself. Um, so I will, you know, validate the feelings that I'm feeling. Uh, that helps me calm down. And I will often pull tarot cards as well. So there's a one particular deck that I am just obsessed with. Um, no affiliation, but uh, it's called Sacred Rebels. I will always pull it. I don't know how it happens, but I always pull the right card. So those are kind of the things that I that I do when I'm in a bad mood. And then once I can kind of get over myself, then I'll right. kind of get into the other things I described. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, two or three of mine. One of them is I have a really hard time journaling whenever I'm in a little bit of a funk. So one thing I've started doing is using my voice recording app. And instead of writing things down, I put a timer on for 10 or 20 minutes. And the only rule is you can't stop talking and you can't turn the voice recorder off. So instead of writing how I'm feeling out, I just do kind of stream of consciousness, um, talk it out to myself. Meditations, Sam Harris, waking up app. I love um, his voice is meant for meditations. 
I just it's velvet. It gets it gets me in there deep. Yeah. Uh, I also love Michael Seeley. He does hypnosis meditations, and he has a ton of YouTube videos. And this this last one is something that you and I both do, and it's called cord cutting. Oh and yes. <laughs> sometimes it's as simple as you and I just doing like a it's a little snip, and that's yeah. all I need to do cut the emotion. Or sometimes I'll go into a meditation on the cord cutting, but those seem to be very effective for me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's geeky magic carpet ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima, and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.